Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, If someone's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and likewise all the seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now, at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, The children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. They can no longer die, for they are like angels, and they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise Even Moses made known in the passage about the bush when he called out, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And he is not God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Two women who hadn't seen each other for a number of years met up in the shopping mall. And one says to the other, how's your husband? And the woman replies, he's in heaven now. And she was obviously embarrassed and said, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, (laughs) rather, uh, I'm happy. I don't mean that either. I mean, I mean, I'm surprised. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I love that little ditty because uh, it's hard to know what to say about people when they are deceased or what to think even about death. And how do we make sense of all of this mystery of life and death and eternal life? Just An hour earlier, I was celebrating a funeral mass in my parish and trying to say something about death and eternal life. 
as I was preaching, this little girl who must have been only three years old came out of her pew and walked up to the coffin and started walking around it. And I knew immediately I lost everybody's attention to this greater competition. And I know if you can't beat your competition, you know, you got to join them. So I stopped and looked at her and saw a nice analogy for what I think is what we all might consider today. This little girl who was walking around the casket, I said, I guess this is how we all look at death, wondering, where is grandma now? What is she doing now? Why is there death? Why can't I see her? And all these questions that surround the, the mystery of death, the troubling reality of death, and questions about heaven and the afterlife. These are the questions that we want to ask today as we reflect on the gospel. But we would do well, again, to assume that posture of a child, because then with those wondering thoughts, and uh, we can allow ourselves to be taught. You know, I was struck by something John Glenn said from the Discovery Shuttle. When he looked out and saw the vastness of space, he said, how could anybody not believe in God? Looking at the beauty and the immensity of our solar system, how could anyone not believe in a greater power of our Creator? I thought to myself that he captures what is just a small insight into that greater mystery of, of all of life and we're faced to look at and from the tiniest situation in life to the greatest reality of life we have to admit we don't understand a whole lot more than what we might understand and that somehow strikes me as a place of wisdom for us to take with that in mind we come to this gospel where we're introduced to the sadducees you often hear about the Pharisees. This is the first time in Luke's gospel we hear about this other religious party called Sadducees. Usually it's the Pharisees that are the adversaries. But now the Sadducees, who I might explain, is another religious group of people, primarily a group of priestly people who were among the wealthy landowners and as a very intelligent and powerful, influential people. They were also conservative. Usually conservative people would like what's going on and they want to maintain it, you know. So that's where they're coming from. And they come to Jesus to pose this problem, we're told. Now, what's interesting to me is that the real problem isn't the question on the surface, which often is the case, you know, with people. The greater the problem isn't an intellectual question that they're raising because they already have their mind made up. You have a hint of that in this debate about life after death because the Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. You see, they only believed in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they could not find anything in those first five books of the Bible that would prove the existence of an afterlife. And so they come to Jesus to question him almost to 
trap him with their impossible, improbable situation. And they said, Moses prescribed that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife and no child, then his brother should marry the widow and have children with her. This whole situation or question is based on what was called the Leverite Law. That is to say, when a man died without children, his brother was expected to marry the widow and raise children in order to carry on their name. You have to appreciate the fact that in those days, many did not believe in an afterlife, and so their only sense of an afterlife was with your children. That's how you lived on in time. These Sadducees, coming from that perspective, present this highly improbable situation where a brother after brother after brother marries this poor widow and dies. Frankly, if I was one of those brothers, I'd stop right there. I don't know whether, though, to feel sorry for the brothers or sorrier for the poor widow who had all these brothers marry her. But keep in mind, again, this is exaggerated case study, as it were, to make a point. Keep in mind, too, that a woman was considered cursed if she wasn't blessed to have children. Again, with the thinking, that's how you lived on in time. The point of the story is not having to deal with marriage so much as question of resurrection. The Sadducees were thinking that since there is not life after death, this would be a proof that this woman, and if, if there were an afterlife, she would have all these husbands to contend with. That You couldn't call that heaven, right? I thought I'd say that before all of you would say that. Obviously, polygamy is unthinkable to the Israel people, and therefore they considered that since this woman would be polygamous if she had all these husbands in heaven, that's further proof there can't be heaven. Jesus' response to this case study or question is to challenge the very assumption that the resurrected life is a continuation of this life. And he as much says, those who belong to this age marry, but not in the next life. That's not to say that we won't be blessed someday to meet our loved ones and be reunited with them. And once you know you have a husband or wife or children, certainly we carry that relationship with them in the hereafter. But we don't carry on in the same way we do here on earth. It's totally different. And Jesus says, using the comparison, that we become like the angels. And saying that, he's saying we're like spiritual beings. And the angels don't marry. And there's no marriage. There's not people getting married in heaven. So we're like, in a sense, spiritual beings. And then he has this great line, children of God are children of the resurrection. I love that line, and I said that this morning. If we are children of God, then we are children of resurrection. If we're children of the resurrection, then we can assume that we could always live at home with our Father. What a delightful image and reassuring promise that is for us who believe in God.
But interestingly, the Sadducees did not believe in angels either. But nonetheless, Jesus used this example to bring them further along in their faith. But they, of course, couldn't hear it. Then Jesus presents the second point of view. And remember, the Sadducees only believe in the first five books of the Bible. So Jesus, knowing that, meets them where they're at and cites an authority that they trust in, which is from the book of Exodus, the second book of the Torah, the Pentateuch, and tells the story of Moses. He says, remember Moses in the story of the burning bush, where God speaks to Moses and says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus asks the question, then is not God the God of the living and not of the dead? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob must be living. God is a God of the living, so they're living on with him. In this interaction we see with Jesus and the Sadducees, it's almost like we would imagine Jesus or interacting with any of us, with any of our questions. In fact, I'd like to offer this reflection, taking first the place of Jesus. What do you imagine Jesus was feeling as he was discussing this issue with the Sadducees? My reflection is, much of his life, Jesus' life, seems to be dealing with problems, especially people problems. This is not exactly an intellectual or entirely theological problem. The problem was the Sadducees did not like Jesus, and they were arguing with him and trying to trip him up. And can you relate to this? How much of our life is dealing with problems, especially people problems? How often are we troubled by people who are critical of us and even what we believe or how we live? Characteristically, Jesus handles this marvelously by cutting right through their argumentation and not falling into a trap because he just raises their focus to be higher. He says, you know, you're limited by this very earthly thinking. You're trying to figure it out in your minuscule mind. And what you have to do is focus on God who surpasses human understanding. I'm reminded of St. Augustine, who was struggling with the mystery of the Holy Trinity, trying to comprehend how there could be three persons in one God. He's walking down the beach, and as he's wondering, asking these questions of himself and of God, he sees this little boy playing in the sand, digging this little hole. And he takes his sand bucket, goes to the ocean, and picks up some of the ocean water and pours it into the hole, goes back and forth, back and forth. As Augustine's going back and forth on the beach, he finally asks the little boy, what are you doing? And the boy says, I'm moving the ocean from, from there to over here. And then it hit him. Like out of heaven, this is what he was trying to do with God. To put the infinity of God's nature into his own minuscule mind. Some things are just incomprehensible, and we can never explain away the mystery, ultimately, of life and death, even understanding our life here, much less the the hereafter. Part of what I see Jesus keep bringing us to is the greater reality of God that it is beyond our understanding. I also happen to think about this in this confrontation of the Pharisees with Christ, how difficult people can try to be, and I know your challenge must be challenged by that, as am I. 
And two weeks ago, a man came up to me after this presentation and shared the most delightful little story that happened to him. He is a uh, grocery store manager. And one day, one of these clients came into the store and began to complain because they had just instituted this non-smoking policy in the store. And he was going on and on, carrying on, criticizing him to say, how can you not allow smoking here when you sell cigarettes here? And this older lady overheard this, came up and said, yeah, well, they also sell toilet paper. Get a life. They also sell toilet paper. Get a life. Don't you want to just say that to some people? Get a life. Part of which leads to the second question, you know, I think so many times in our own struggle, what does it really, really matter? And, and this is what the Sadducees were failing to see. Take a look at them for a moment. Here they are arguing with Jesus about what they thought they knew better. Hello. You have to see, and these are intelligent and well-informed people. Maybe that says something. It can be a little bit of knowledge can hurt us. And we have to all admit that's all we have at any time. Only the wise person sees how a little they know in comparison to all that there is to know. The Sadducees didn't see that. And they were so sure of themselves that they argued so stubbornly and so proudly. And unfortunately, they couldn't hear Jesus reveal a greater reality. In fact, sad to say, they could not even allow Jesus to open up for them the vision of heaven. All because they couldn't be open to something they just couldn't understand. I wonder how often we have that kind of closed mentality about things in life that we just don't understand. As I imagine it, I imagine because, you know, they're, hey, these are priestly people. I have to be a little defensive here. I imagine they're good people. I imagine they really did earnestly, sincerely study the scriptures. This is what they were taught. And, you know, like we would tend to defend anything that we have thought for a long time or been taught for a long time. But the point is, there was some pride in that. They couldn't be open to learning more. Even the church is that way, often. I always think about how Copernicus tried to convince the church authority that the solar system does not revolve around the earth. Rather, the earth revolves around the sun. And they just couldn't see that, and they considered him a heretic. Galileo came along and said, look, I can show you through a telescope. Just look. The earth does revolve around the sun, not vice versa. And he was excommunicated. Imagine. Because the church, proud that they were, were so sure themselves, they couldn't look at the facts, at the evidence. But how often do we do that ourselves? I mean, I hate to think about it. What would perhaps cure that intellectual pride or streak of stubbornness in us is a little dose of humility. 
And this would help us to be humble. If we could just pray, Lord, I don't know all that I need to know. Please help me learn and grow. Could you say that with me? Lord, I don't know all that I need to know. Help me to learn and grow. One more time. Lord, I don't know all that I need to know. Help me to learn and grow. If we say that, if we pray that, then the Lord will come to us in all of our questions and situations in life to guide us, to enlighten us, as surely he He wanted to do for the Sadducees. I was very struck by my good friend, Reverend Howard Storm, who many of you know and have heard. And every Monday now, Pastor Storm and I and other priests come together to study the scriptures, to look at this gospel, and to reflect on what we could say to explain it on Sunday. And just this past Monday, he was sharing how he has learned before he approaches the scripture to pray, Lord, I don't understand this. Now, you see, my argument was, well, wait a minute, sometimes I think I do. And that is such, that's such a pitfall that when we think we've got it, usually the Lord wants to show us otherwise. It would be honest to say I have some insight, but not close to all the insight that there is and that the Lord wants to offer us. And then Pastor Storm shared, and I was really touched by this, how the Lord had used him to preach in a very powerful way. And he was rejoicing in what God was doing. And I said, well, what happened last Sunday that you gave such a powerful homily or sermon? And he said, beforehand, I just emptied myself. And I knew that there's nothing I could do, nothing I could say of myself without the help of God that would make it effective for people and helpful to them. And I said, wow, that's like, you know, the, the glass. If we just empty ourselves, then God could fill us. Or if we empty ourselves, then God could work through us. But that's so hard to do because I tend to be full of my own thoughts and, yes, full of my own self. And that's why we have to allow God to whittle away our ego which usually only happens with suffering. You know that. When we are humble by life's situations, and then we are so teachable, can I say it, redeemable, that God could use us in the most beautiful and powerful way. That certainly is, is what all the saints teach us. My thought maybe is to just take a moment to just raise the question and offer the comment what it is that the Lord's trying to teach us in our life through our struggles and, yes, through our sufferings. Imagine, you know, as Jesus faced the Sadducees and spoke to their situation, they couldn't quite hear it, but could we? And what would the Lord say to us and to our situation? Imagine that now and share a prayer for each other's special intentions. That would be good. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, 
www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.